Persist podcast. I am so excited to be joined today by the Western Municipal Water District Vice President, Gracie Torres. Gracie, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Denise. Absolutely. Gracie, please tell us a bit about yourself and your path into politics. Sure. So my name, as you said, my name is Gracie Torres. I've been um, at Western. I was elected in 2018. Professionally, though, I'm a water chemist. I uh, have been um, doing water quality, water compliance for almost a decade now. Uh, I've uh, started at, um, I started that at Cal State San Bernardino where I was a student. I got my bachelor's in chemistry, wanted to be a doctor, uh, but quickly fell in love with the environment and specifically with water. I was, um, you know, I was a single mom at the time finishing up my bachelor's degree, needed a job, got a job on campus. Uh, at a little water lab. It was small, but we would drive out to Lake Elsinore Canyon Lake and sample water. And I can just, I can tell you, I, I absolutely fell in love with, with that. Uh, so I switched my major almost immediately into, into um, chem like water chemistry, environmental chemistry, uh, moved on to getting a uh, degree in environmental science, and then an uh, internship at Riverside County Flood Control. And I've done stormwater management both the quality science part as well as the regulatory uh, part of it, um, ensuring that basically our waterways stay clean uh, through different. So whenever, Denise, whenever you want to talk about stormwater compliance and how we can yeah, make sure that our cities are up, up on the regulations, I'm ready for it. But um, okay. I so in 2016, everyone knows that's when the political turmoil really kicked in. But for me, you know, I, I was always just a, a nerd that like, I liked my water. I had my a good life and career. My kids um, was just recently married with my husband at the time and I had a new baby. Uh, but then the, in the news, I started seeing that uh, kids were being yanked viciously from their mothers at the border and, and thrown into cages. And I said, I need to do something. I have to, I have to do something about this, whatever I can. I started volunteering at ICE hearings to translate um, to be an advocate where I would just stand with, um, with those going into, into court and, and try to make them feel okay about what they were doing. Um, and, and slowly just looking, however I can help. And I ran into the, uh, democratic club, a young democratic club here in Riverside County. And, um, actually it was funny. I met, um, Maha Rizvi, who I'm sure you're familiar with. You probably, you probably interviewed my colleague. That's her daughter. And I met yeah. her on a Sunday. We went to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Wednesday, and by Friday, I had filed paperwork. I had found out there was an open seat at the water district, and I was a, I'm a water chemist, so I was like, I'm I'm going for it. So I, I and that was the, the filing deadline uh, that Friday, and that's where where I, I got into politics. And I know I don't I, you know water. You think of water well, it has nothing to do with kids in cages, but what has given me the ability to create a platform where I have a chance like these to talk about the things that interest me, not, not just water and water policy, but also the humanitarian side, the, the, the immigrant in me wants to talk about those types of things. And I, I'll, I use every opportunity. So. That's, that's an incredible trajectory. I always love that question. I love hearing people's stories about how they got into politics. And I love hearing about why you, you wanted a platform and why this is so important to you. I also read recently that you're pursuing your doctorate now. I'm curious to know what has that experience been like and what are you studying? Ooh, well, I am I'm going, I'm getting my doctorate. I'm very lucky, lucky. I have two parents. Um, when we immigrated here, we that we had nothing. It was the seven of us. We had nothing but my 
parents had of their education. And that was that was able to set us aside from other families that come here with with even less. And so my parents always pushed that on me. And one of the things they 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 always put on us was to end up with some type of a doctorate. And I wasn't very interested. Um, once I got my master's degree, like I said, I was just a little nerd. I loved what I was doing at the time. I still love it, but I, so what I, where as I'm going through, um, you know, learning about public policy and, and, and all of that, I, one thing that really interests me are water shutoffs. So as we know, if you're not able to pay your water bill, they shut your water off. And you have to pay a fee to get it turned back on. And it's kind of like a cycle that, in my opinion, aids in our fight to poverty. It, it, in our fight, you know, we have a, a huge uh, gap here in, in the United States and those types of things where you're actually punishing poor people for being poor really took my interest. So I'm actually, um, I jumped into it. I got, there's a program at Cal Baptist University, a, a doctorate in public administration. Um, I was I actually looking to do a doctorate in leadership and um, I, you know, I was on the phone with the dean and telling him what I was interested in. He's like, you know what, you should do it in public administration. It sounds like you are interested in policy and, and change. And so that's what I'm actually looking at the time when I applied. Um, it was before COVID. Um, and then when I got accepted, COVID had just I think COVID had just started. I'm, I'm, I'm iffy, but it is. COVID has given us the unique opportunity to study or it has given me the unique opportunity to study um, how a moratorium on water shutoffs would fiscally uh, affect the water district. So that's what I'm going to be doing my dissertation on. And that is, like, no matter what, I don't stay away from water. That's what I'm working on. That is so incredible. I'm excited to hear how that goes for you. Um, how fantastic. You know, I have to say, it's been a pleasure getting to know you in the political sphere over the last few years. When I think about you, I think of someone who is everywhere. I frankly don't know how you do it all, but I am continually impressed not only by your energy level, but by your commitment to helping people, campaigns and causes that you believe in. I'm curious to hear more about what drives this for you and what compels you to be on the go so much. A lot of, so there, there's a few things, but a lot of it is I, I feel so behind. Um, every, everywhere I turn, I'm like, somebody needs help. Uh, you know, that was that was a, a, a real a reality during COVID. Um, but then it's also uh, my daughters and my and my son. You know, I want them to know that they can do whatever they want. Um, and I, I really believe that I really believe that um, that they can. And I can even and I can be somebody that paves that for them. So if, you know, you know, if I'm interested in, in, in helping nonprofits or all that, I do a lot of different things, right? Um, I, I want them to know that um, a family isn't going to hold you back because I hear that excuse a lot, right? Well, I have kids or, you know, and, and not everyone needs to be like me. I'm not saying that either, but I don't ever want them to feel like, hey, I, I can't have a family and I can't be an elected. I can't, I, that's, I don't believe that. And I know that if I'm their example and maybe, maybe I'm wrong and maybe the wheels are going to fall off and they're like, she, she couldn't do it. But um, I'm willing to, to try to show them, um, give them that example. I actually asked my son today, um, I was sitting with him and I was hugging him. You know, and I was like, Mio, you think I'm a, you think I'm a good mom? He's like, no. He's like, I think you're a great mom. And I was like, what? Okay. Like, you know what? He's a flirt. <laughs> but um, he says, he says, no, because you, you sacrifice so much to teach us that the world is good. 
and you know he's he's a good kid but I you know I, I really think that that um, I, I'm setting an example and I hope I'm setting it for other, other girls that see me and identify themselves with me. And hopefully not only do I break glass ceilings, but I don't fall off a glass cliff and I'm able to uplift other, other young women like myself. I love that you talked about that. And, and that's really been a theme on this show. I've been doing the podcast for a couple months now, and it's been amazing how many mothers I've interviewed who are in elected office. And I think that that's something that's notable of the last couple of years, right? This is a different generation of people entering the political arena, much like you alluded to because of what happened in 2016. Um, and so it's great. It's great to see so many mothers in office and saying, no, th there's a place for us here too. And it's important for us to be at the table. Um, sometimes, you know, even more so you understand family issues uh, more so than, than most people. So thank you for sharing that about your kids. I'm sure you're a great inspiration and role model for them. And sh shifting gears a bit, you know, you alluded a little bit earlier to the COVID pandemic. And obviously we're over a year and a half into this public health crisis like we've never seen before in our lifetimes. I'm curious to hear about how this pandemic has impacted your life and, and your family's lives. So, I mean, we, we really didn't see it coming. I think um, when it first began, I, um, you know, Western Municipal Water District is actually the very first water district to implement a water shutoff moratorium. Um, I, and, and that only came, and I think this is kind of what you were talking about, that only came because I got a phone call from the school saying, your kids are about to be sent home. And I'm like, well, if my kids are coming home, a lot of parents are gonna stay home from work, therefore they can't pay their water bill. And that, that experience there tells us why we need more women in office, more moms in office, more Latinas. That's why, because these are the lived experiences that are gonna frame the future policy, future policy right? Um, the first six months, I have to tell you, have been probably some of the hardest months of my life. Um, not, I mean, not only because we're in a pandemic and things were scary, but because that is when the devastation or the understanding that um, there is really a wage gap in, in the United States. We are really hurting in the United States and the pandemic only opened the doors, opened the windows and let us see that. Right. Mm -hmm. So everywhere I looked, um, somebody needed help. Somebody needed food. The first about the first six months um, I had, a, I say I adopted, but I, I basically adopted seven families who didn't have a source of food and I would feed them as long as I was well with my family. And I'm not rich. I don't you know, I, I so I was doing the best I could to feed these families. And, you know, I would go to every food drive and get all the food. I'd be like, hey, can I take seven boxes with me? Or, um, and that's why you see me volunteering so much, not because I want okay, anything out of it, but it, it really is like, sometimes it's because I need to help somebody else. And so um, I did, and I, I don't know if people talk about this. Uh, I did enter a very deep depression during that time because Again, I, I was like, I don't know how I can help so many people and help myself. I was also we were going through a transition of, at a nonprofit that I'm at, and uh, it was a it was a really hard time. And I went through this depression. And um, Denise, as as you know, being an elected official is very hard. Yes, sometimes very lonely. Yes. and so um, that was uh, probably one of the challenging, most challenging things because this was at one place where the world is seeing super Gracie and my kids are seeing mommy who won't get out of bed some days or, you know, and 
Um, and that was, that was really, really rough. And I, you know, I only have, um, my, my friends and family to thank for pulling me out of that, uh, because it, it was, it was a hard time. I, you know, in my heart, I want to help absolutely everybody, but there's, um, no one teaches us how to understand why you can't help everybody. And so that's that, you know, that's something that's kind of been a theme evolving theme in the last year for me is I need to pick my battles and, um, you know, I, I try to show up for everyone now, but it, it is a little less consistent than I used to be because I'm, I'm trying to hone in on where can I make the best impact with the best of me rather than spreading myself in. So it was rough. It was a rough time. But luckily, my whole family is healthy. I, you know, I um, and nobody in my immediate family passed away, but it, it was a really hard time, um, to say the least. Just a lot of it had to do with the fact that we opened the gate you know open the windows to see um how much devastation there already was you put a pandemic to it and that just added a lens yeah and thank you so much for your vulnerability in that response i think that a lot of people will resonate with that for many reasons and i certainly resonated with what you said about you know being in elected office being hard and being lonely and that's a great segue into my next question which is I'm curious to know what have been some of the biggest challenges you have faced in elected office? So some of the, the biggest challenges, you know, I actually for a long time uh, sat on my board and it was um, just me and four votes, uh, which is very difficult. So it gets very, very lonely. Now I have a colleague, she's wonderful. And it's now it's just two and three, but you know, and, and not and necessarily every vote goes that way. Um, some of the biggest challenges, though, are are the the you know kind of per, the personal attacks. I'm going to call them personal because I don't feel like I've done anything to warrant them. Um, I've faced censuring almost uh, three times now um, over things that um, are not un, are not unethical conduct um, or or you know it, it really just personal attacks. Where, you know, one of the, one of them, the hardest one was um, you know they try they try to get me fired from my work. Um, with false allegations. And so the, those things are, are very daunting. I don't, I don't come from politics, Denise. You know, I don't come from this space. So a lot of it is new. And so, you know, I, I have a friend that always like, welcome to politics. And I'm like, I came here to serve uh, my community, right? I didn't come to, to play games. I didn't come to fight with people. And so I get shocked almost every time something happens at how hard it can be to be a leader. And, and so, um, you know, I, uh, that, that's been the hardest. And then, um, speaking up for your community sometimes, um, and, and I don't know if this is popular or not unpopular, but sometimes your community doesn't necessarily want you to do something that you align with, right. Mm -hmm. uh, they want something different and you have to be able to say, I'm here to represent you. I'm not here to represent my interests. I don't even represent Western's interests. I represent a community that elected me and they don't want this or they do want this. How do we provide it to them? And sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, but this is what the community wants. And they, it's, it feels like no one's listening. And so that's probably another biggest, one biggest, of my, one of my biggest frustrations is, is that, um, it, those types of things, me saying, you know, I, I literally went to this meeting. This is what they want. They've been asking, blah, blah, blah. And they, they're like, well, it's, it's because you're up for re-election. Like, 
I know because this is what my community wants. And so that's, that's probably another, another thing that's been very hard to just grapple with. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm a public servant. I'm not the queen of the water district. I'm not the queen of Riverside. I'm a public servant. I'm here to serve the public and however I can. So that's been a, something a, that I feel just very frustrating. I guess sometimes very alone in. Absolutely. And well said. And as you were talking, especially about the challenges that you faced in elected office, I keep thinking about how there's political science data out there, right, that that talks about how women are disproportionately targeted and harassed in the political arena. But we know that, right? Like just from being in this region, just from seeing our peers and knowing ourselves what it's like to be a woman in elected office, like we are experiencing that firsthand. And I think it's really important for us to talk about that because it's not going to stop until we shed light on it and say, hey, this is really a problem. Yeah, no, just recently I was up for, again, for censuring over missing a a form. Um, And I'm not saying it was a mistake. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay attention, but um, I don't know how many conversations I had with uh, male elected officials that were like, I file late all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, I know, (laughs) you know, like, I I get that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it is absolutely real. And I think seeing a woman in office, seeing a Latina in office, seeing a queer person in office, I that scares the establishment. And all they know how to do is use the rules. So rather than using the rules to uplift us, right? Mm-hmm. Saying, hey, you know, let, we should have an FPPC training so that you don't miss these forms so that next time you can do better. Rather than uplifting us, they use the rules to push us down. And I think um, it works. Mm-hmm. I can honestly tell you, sometimes I am exhausted. I, I, I beat it. I didn't get censured, but I was, I literally felt my body leave myself. Like I felt myself leave my body. I was exhausted just from the mental thinking, my kids are going to watch this. Like, what if my parents, see? like either my dad's home stressed out, you know, like they're, and all those things like are, and it works. They're like, let's exhaust them because they have so much else going on. They have full-time jobs. They have podcasts. They have all these, let's exhaust them. So they go away. And I, I can, I believe that it, it, if we don't pay attention to this, if we don't fight back, if we don't do something about it, start addressing it, it's going to work. They're going to exhaust you, Denise. They're going to exhaust me. They're going to exhaust our colleagues, our friends to the point that we won't want to come back. And that's not okay because we belong here. I could not agree more. That was brilliantly, brilliantly said. And this is another example of why we need more women in elected yeah. office, right? Like we need to just keep pushing because we need that critical mass. Yes. Thank yes. You. Thank and you I, I know so many, I'm, I'm really good. I'm like, I love, I love recruiting people for office right now. We have a friend running in Moreno Valley, wonderful girl. And, you know, I love it. I, every time I talk to someone new, I say, well, you should run. I, I don't I know. I, I could never. And I'm like, and whenever they say things like, oh, I don't, I'm not like, I don't belong there. And I'm like, no, that's exactly why you belong there because you don't see yourself there already that you belong there because they're, you don't know how many people are having that same conversation. And so I, yes, we need, I need every time I talk to a woman to be like, yes, I'm running because I saw Denise, because I saw Jackie. Um, but they don't, they, they're, they fret from it because they don't see us. And so we have, we have to be there. That's the only thing that keeps me going though, <laughs> to be honest. 
Well, you and I are on the shared mission, right, to recruit every woman possible to run for office. This is a worthy effort for sure. I'm curious to know, in addition to getting all the women to run for office, um, what are some of the issues that you're most passionate about and eager to address during your time on the Western Municipal Water District Board? There's a lot. Um, So I have tried to create um, community groups. I think the biggest issue with water, and I don't know if this, if you knew this before you were elected, is that nobody has any idea that they have an elected representative on the water district, which basically means you don't have to continuously call your the, the number on your water bill and can complain. There is somebody that you can talk to and say, hey, do something about this that has the power to do something about it, right? So um, I really want um, a stronger public education. I want everyone to know what water is, how we get it, why it's expensive, what you know, why it's a commodity, how it's about to be a, a very scarce resource with the drought that, and that's a global drought. It's it's not a California drought, it's a global drought. I want people to know. So I, that's why I signed up for everything. You know, right? I texted, I was like, hey, wait a minute. I would like to be on this podcast. And it's because yeah. I want everybody to understand what water is and um, if I, if I'm the conduit, perfect. Um, another thing is addressing what I talked about earlier, water shutoffs, penalty payments, um, all those things, in my opinion, are things that are meant to hurt uh, people that are already struggling. And I, I don't think it's intentional, but it does. It happens. If I don't have $150 to pay my water bill this month, I'm not going to have 160 next month to turn it on plus the month after, right? That's not real. So we need to create solutions that um, that help people through these little things that create cycles and systems of poverty that you cannot get out at all. And so that I, I honestly believe that we have, um, that water really helps, uh, re- water is really one of the um, strongest forms of keeping people poor. Um, and no one's, no one pays attention to it again, because of my first point, we have no idea about these things. And so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad that you said that. Actually tomorrow night at my council meeting, I put on there a utility subsidy program. And and what you said speaks to exactly why this is necessary, right? Well, let me know if you need me out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. But yeah. Very, very well said. Thank you very much. And you know, you've talked a bit about your kids before earlier in this podcast, and you have an incredible social media presence. In addition to um, adorable photos of your children there, I often see the hashtag, my kids rule my world. I love seeing that. And I would love to hear you expand on what that means for you. Um, so, you know, even before I was elected, um, you'll, you'll see in all their pictures, but even before I was elected, you know, um, I had Gracie, I had Gracie when I was 20. Um, I wasn't married. I, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was young, single, but, um, I always say that she used, she saved my life. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't really know where it was headed, but because I had her, I decided to go to school. I, you know, got my first apartment. I got my first house with a backyard. I live now in the Riverside because of Gracie, I, my world changed. So that's why I always say they're my world. Um, and same with my son, you know, there was so many things that because of my son changed. you know, I was able to change, um, just a lot of different things. Uh, everything that I have pursued, everything, including elected office, including the future plans I have, um, have been because of my kids. 
And so they're, they're my world. I do everything for them. Um, and because of them and because I want them to know that one day they can have everything they want. I love that so much. What a great motivating factor. Yeah. And Gracie, we always end the show with the same question. And that question is, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, especially college students thinking about running for office or getting involved in the political arena, what would that be? Uh, run as you are. You know, a lot of people want to feel ready to run. It's never going to happen. So run as you are. We need you in this space. And, uh, you know, if I have... One, one more thing is start creating alliances and friends with those that you want to serve. Not serve with, serve. Go out to your community, meet the people that you are interested in and serving, and they're, they're going to be the ones that uplift you and make you feel safe when things are hard. So make alliances with them. We're always looking to, to making friends with, oh, I want to I want to meet Kamala Harris, which would be really cool. But make friends with your community, with those that you want to serve. Get to know them, get to know their needs. And, and it will just make that that much easier. And they will keep you grounded when things are difficult. That is such great advice. Western Municipal Water District Vice President Gracie Torres, thank you for such a powerful, raw, and honest, and inspiring interview. Uh, it was so much fun to talk to you. The Persist Podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, Director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know. 